welcome back to following Noah on a Stormlight podcast. Gentlemen, it is December 5th when this episode releases, which means <laughs> it may not be December 5th on your two's calendar at the moment, but when this episode releases, December 5th, which means we are officially less than a year from Stormlight 5 releasing and in prep for that. At the end of each episode moving forward, we are going to do a quick Stormlight prep in the form of a game between you two. We're going to keep score. I will give you more details at the end of the episode. Neither Elliot or Paul knew that was coming. Um, so they, they have no idea. Paul, how are you? Um, happy Thanksgiving, except late. Um, I actually didn't realize how far out we've now been gotten gotten to recording our episodes so i apologize for everyone that we didn't uh, shout that out yet um but i'm excited for christmas just around the corner just a couple weeks away um i'm excited we are in hero of ages now absolutely thrilled this is like one of those books that everyone gets everyone talking you know like this has been a good series so far i feel confident that this book is what sends it from from a good series to a great series. So I I'm excited, I'm thrilled and uh looking forward to the Christmas season. Absolutely. Um side note, sorry I'm really talking a lot in this intro. But yeah, I did not know about this whole stormlight prep. I still don't know exactly what we're going to be doing. But um I haven't historically done great on any kind of trivia thing we've done but I, i'm really gonna be putting my best foot forward because i want to uh i want to win i want to win something and i'm ready to get prepped for book five my new year's resolution to myself is that i'm that's when i'm going to start on january 1st i'm going to start rereading stormlight archive um so that i'm really fresh for for once book five comes out so yeah looking forward to it really went off with a lot of info there but yeah Elliot, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm su I'm super pumped for Storm My Five. In inside a year for that, that's that's pretty crazy to think. When we started this podcast, we were four years out from that, four and a half years yep. out from that. So to be to be inside a year on the closing of Storm Archive is pretty uh, pretty crazy. It's gonna be honest before we know it, but we have a lot of ground to cover between now and and then. Starting with uh, the Hero of Ages, of course. I, I, I'm with Paul. I've heard I've heard a lot of people reference this book. I, I've heard a lot of people mention it, say, "Oh, I, I wish I could talk about this," but oh yeah, that's in Hero of Ages. And I've seen a lot of spoiler bars in our Discord <laughs> with uh, the Hero of Ages as the the tag along with them. So I'm I'm quite intrigued to read this book and. We get quite the, the banger of, a, of an intro as well. Sanderson pulls no punches. We'll throw it back to Elliot here in a second for a brief summary. But let's start to Paul first before the intro. Paul, we have a new patron. We do, we do. I was going to wait till after the, the, um, the intro, but it's super exciting. This can't wait. Trevor's right. We have a new surgeon in the midst I'm still, by the way, I'm still a little bit hurt with how many titles I got wrong whenever we started this. 
a long time ago. Like I was always saying ardent when they were a surgeon or vice versa, or just always getting it off. So I'm trying to be really meticulous with it now. But a huge thank you to Russell. I'm doing my best to try and get these to look clear on camera, but that one looks good. I'm sure y'all are aware it's never been the best quality. But Russell, our newest surgeon, and we really appreciate it. And man, I can't, I can't help. You just came at such a great time. I think for for Hero of Ages, I think this is going to be such a fun book to go through. So, thank you so much for your support. And uh, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could not even wait until the intro for that one so yes thank you thank you very much russell and thank you each of you for listening i feel like we haven't thanked our listeners um in a while i appreciate each of you tuning in to hear our thoughts on the cosmere let's roll intro and then we'll get a brief summary of the prologue through chapter seven of the hero of ages Ready when you are, Elliot. Okie doke. First seven chapters of the Hero of Ages sees quite a bit happen. Prologue right away starts giving us some some hints and clues about things. We're in Marsh's perspective, and we learn a little bit about what he's going through as as an inquisitor with a couple of name drops that we'll uh, we'll talk about here in a second. Once we get over to our our main heroes, I would say Vin and Ellen show up in some random village south. I want to say it's like south, south. southern dominance or something like that. Yep. They uh, swing in just in time to save the day from an invading army of Polos. And epic battle in, ensues there with some interesting perspectives from some of the villagers and and leaders there we see a lot of elland in a very confident leadership role we get a couple point of views from Hensoon, the the chandra so some very interesting glimpses into his predicament and the chandra culture which i'm excited to talk about uh, let's see we get a brief Stint of time in Sazed's head in chapter four. He's chatting with Breeze. They've they've gone to visit uh, Lekal. Lekal. I don't even know how to say that name. Is it Lekal? Lekal. In the audiobook, it's Lekal. I believe it's Lekal. Okay. Gone to visit the the house Lekal to try and get them to sign a treaty. Sounds like, and Sazed is still trying to. Deal with the loss of of Tindwill and some of the challenges to his to his faith. And let's see, Vin and Ellen discover a cavern that's stocked with supplies and map and some hints about alimantic metals, and they're on the hunt for more. And I th think that pretty much covers it. Sounds good. Before we even start with chapter, well, before we even start with the prologue. I want to cover just the beginning pages of the book. We get a map. Is this the first map we get? Or is there another? So we, we've had maps before, but it was always like the, the area as a whole 
like the the dominances uh-huh. and then i think we've had a, a map of luthadel before what what caught my eye is i flipped open this page, this book i you know i'm only five pages in not even to to actual page one yet there's not a map of luthadel instead there's two other cities which we don't really know anything about yet and so that right there I took as a rather positive sign on one of the things we've talked about before, which was, I want to get out of Luthadel and see the rest of this place. Well, yeah. there we go. Right in the beginning of the book, there are maps of two cities that we haven't been to. So I'd say that's promising. Is one Orto? Yes. And Fadrex City? Which is where Set's from. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, at the end of last book... Elliot, you were excited to see Marsh again, but also very concerned about the state of which Marsh was in. Right off, right off the bat, first paragraph, we get so many like name drop secret secrets revealed in the prologue of this book. Um, do either one of you want to take this uh, prologue? Sure, Marsh. But Marsh has been a really interesting character, and as we just talked in our, our wrap-up, I was a little surprised to not see a lot of him in the last book, and for him to apparently completely switch sides. Well, we get our explanation for that here, like you said, right off the bat. Marsh is straight up being mind-controlled. He yep. is not in control of his body. And in fact, he is in the prologue here like actively trying to kill himself. Yeah. He he's he's trying to take the what looks like the only way of escape he can see, which is I need to stop whatever it is from controlling me by killing myself, but he can't even do that. The the thing that has control of him which I don't know if I came to this conclusion in the prologue or or later through some of the bits we got in these chapters, but it seems to very clearly be ruin. Yep. Ruin itself directly controlling Marsh's every action, like every muscle movement. So, yeah, yikes. So I, I want to talk about this a little bit. So I didn't hop in for the prologue, but I'm glad we're talking about Marsh first. This is what I wanted to talk about first. Chapter 6, I believe Chapter 6, is a very short Marsh POV chapter. Like, really short chapter. And the audiobook is literally like five minutes exactly like it's so quick um and and he talks about this he talks about how he doesn't have control over himself like he like the, he says the maximum that he's been able to do is like maybe move a finger or maybe stop walking but then like if he does do that then it's like if we're assuming it's ruin then it's like he has ruins full attention and then is is pushed right back into it. Like he right. just gets a brief moment, maybe, where he's not being paid full attention to, which is crazy and, and sad. You know, it's sad to see because we're seeing in Marsh's mind, which in his mind, like like there's a lot of things which are very inquisitor. Like he sees these spikes as beautiful, right? It talks a little bit about these spikes um, that they have and how they have more spikes now than before even when it's going straight through the heart which is totally crazy you know um and and he talks about how they're 
beautiful, which makes me think that's not actually Marsh, right? That is Inquisitor, right? Right. But there is still like some Marsh in there, you know, which I feel like is a little hopeful. But obviously, it's it's completely like tragic. It's it's tragic to see Marsh's Marsh's point of view. Elliot, at the or at the end of book one, you were ready to herald Marsh as top five character, main good guy. Like you were really behind Marsh. Does this reveal that he's enslaved change your feelings at all? from the previous book, I liked Marsh a lot in the first book. In the kind of brief bits that we saw from him, he he seemed to be a a voice of reason, someone who is you know, giving giving it to you straight, not pulling any punches, but at the same time watching out for other people. He made a huge sacrifice in being the one to become an inquisitor and infiltrate the the Lord Ruler's house and all that. Save the day. I mean, he that the heroes would not have won without Marsh in in book one. Book two, yeah, I was very quickly to toss him out and say, okay, he switched sides, done with that. Does this change things? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's gotta, right? If if the real Marsh is still in there and there was no turn, there was no betrayal, and that it's just mind control. Like, yeah, I think that brings him right back into the picture of of a character I can get behind. Now, there's an interesting question, though, on this, which is, when did the mind control happen? Right. And, and I would specifically frame that question in context of the events at the very end of the second book, with Vin freeing what I think we can safely assume is Ruin at this point from the Well of Ascension. Did... Did Ruin have mind control over Marsh before that? Or was that the moment where Ruin came back into its powers and is able to fully mind control? And like before that, we know Marsh was hearing a voice in his head before that, but was like, it wasn't full on mind control and it was just just that voice. It was just the influence of Ruin. And like maybe Zane is in the same conversation here. Maybe Maybe Zane is not getting mind control. He's just getting influenced by the voice right. in that case is there still some culpability on on marsh perhaps yes but yeah i think it changes it absolutely yeah we'll have to keep reading to figure out the specifics on that because in last book it seemed pretty clear that zane had free will he just had a kill him voice in his ear um, right whereas right. we're led to believe here from the point of view of Marsh, that it is complete mind control and even mind altering. Like he can feel himself reveling in this gross act of hemolurgy at the beginning of the book. And then when it's back to Marsh, he is wondering why he was enjoying that. Like, so, so there's, there's a strange like dual mind thing going on. Do you want to talk about hemolurgy since now it's been named officially? So I'll I'll talk about this a little bit. So, hemology easily like the weirdest. I guess if we we want to call it a magic system, right? That we've had definitely the most grotesque and the weirdest. We don't fully understand how it works. I don't think like how it bestows power. Like why the inquisitors are strong. 
But we know a couple of things, and I think we see this in Chapter 6. We we learn that... I don't know if this is the first place that we learn it, or if this is additional, but it, it states that there's the spikes in Inquisitor's eyes are steel. Mm-hmm. Right? That's probably why they're called steel Inquisitors, typically. Um, that, and then there... You may have to correct me if I'm wrong, but there are pewter spikes in the body, I believe. Um, I think there's one, like, which may be one of their new ones that goes through the heart. I believe the one through um, the heart is brass. Okay. There's a brass spike through the heart. I think maybe pewter one's kind of in the side. Like, also, also, I believe that Marsh mentions he he may have more than the rest. Right. Marsh mentioned some in his ribs, um, not just like in the in the back, right? We know that there's like a point in the back. There's one that goes straight through the chest, and there's kind of a point in the back that if you separate those in the back, that's like an Inquisitor's weakness. Um, but man, I, oh, oh, another thing that we see in here is he mentions that like we we get a mention that a spike is like made i don't know if it's made from a life but it's at least made in some capacity like from killing which is really grotesque like if if sticking a spike through your body isn't grotesque enough like the spike being made in some way shape or form from killing people as well like it just makes it even more crazy it's definitely the most morbid magic system i've ever heard of um but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. My under, my understanding is, I, I don't know if hemology can really be separate from, like, ruin or this whole mind control thing, right? Like we saw that, for example, we saw that uh, Zane had, it looked like he had a spike, right. and he had this voice in his head. Maybe it's all just completely tied to ruin. You're like in his network, you know. Or I don't know if it's like if there's an innocent side that it's like yeah you can have a casual spike in your eye and it's just uh, to gain steel powers you know um, not not connecting you to to ruin or something I I don't know the answer to that and that's that's a question that I would have um, but y'all may have way more to say about hemology those were my just off the cuff thoughts. So my quick question, which I don't know if it's a quick one, but what are the specifics of hemallergy? If you were to ask me like the specifics on it, I would guess if you spike yourself with a metal, you get the power of a mistborn on that metal. But that doesn't seem to be the case because they're missing several, but seem to be, seem to have full powers of mistborn. So I, I'm I'm a little confused. Does it have to do with and we've learned we learned in the prologue that in order to get a spike, you have to like spike it through someone. So I'm I'm wondering if you get the powers of whoever you spiked, if if they were like a misting and were were a seeker or something or a smoker, and if you spike them, then you get their powers. But I'm not convinced on that one either because there's not that many. Maybe there are that many Mistborn around or Mistings around, I should say. 
And Marsh makes a weird comment in in context with that. So in in the prologue, it, it specifically mentioned that the the person being sacrificed is a terrorist, right? And then later, in the Marsh chapter, chapter six, I think it is, he mentions again them needing to hunt down or find more terrorists, and I, I kind of jumped to the conclusion that that was related to the spiking that they wanted to do. He he's thinking about like the different spikes that he has in his ribs and things like that as he talks about, oh yeah, we gotta hunt down the rest of the terrorists. I, I almost was ready to jump to the conclusion that not only do you have to spike it through a person into the Inquisitor that you're adding the power to, but that it might have to be a terrorist. Or maybe in a similar vein have to be a ferrochemist. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's the wrong direction to go with. I don't. I don't think we have any clues that way. But yeah, I was wondering if it was if it was even more specific than what you were thinking. Could also reframe the Lord Rulers Terrasman breeding program that we knew was happening over a thousand Ooh. years. Oh. If it has to be a Terrasman, yeah. I wonder if that has something to do with it. Like everybody just assumed he was trying to breed out ferrochemy. But maybe right. he was trying to like harvest, for lack of a better term. Yeah, absolutely. And it it clearly has to be something that's. I think it's got to be something that's difficult to do, right? Otherwise, there'd be way more inquisitors, right? If if this was something you could just grab a random person, even like a misting, I feel like there's enough mistings out there that the Lord Ruler would have had an army of these guys. He only had like twenty ish right and we're two years two years out from the the slaying of the lord ruler right or yeah and it doesn't seem like the inquisitors themselves under the influence of ruin have gone off and created their own army of inquisitors maybe they have maybe that's the sander lanch of this book as we realize there's an army of a hundred thousand inquisitors who knows that's but a lot of inquisitors I, i'm willing yeah, that, that would be kind of ridiculous. The I, I'm willing to guess at this point that it's something that happened. You have to have very specific circumstances. You have to have something very specific, a specific person. It, it's not something you can just grab a random guy off the street in order to power up your body. Right. Anything else for Marsh? There's one comment. Where is it in my notes? In the prologue. Marsh makes a reference and he, he's kind of under the influence of ruin at this point about there used to be a force that lay over the land like a shield that that's a quote that's what the the book says okay force that lay over the land like a shield i, I read that and immediately thought like a, a a preserving force like a like a preservation and uh starting to starting to hunt more and more for our words that we have ruin preservation yeah i did notice that we're specifically using ruin as a term and as a name now but we're not using preservation where's preservation yeah questions so kind of related to this jumping over to vin and ellen they fight an inquisitor who has control of a coloss army and we can we can talk more about that in a second. But the Inquisitor that they find, two weird things about the Inquisitor. One, 
right before the Inquisitor dies, Vin says he moved really fast, way faster than he should have. Second one, he tries to kill Ellen with one of his spikes. He either has an extra spike or does he pull one out from himself? I don't remember which one it is. But he tries to kill Ellen with a spike and then they kind of just dismiss it as, well, maybe he couldn't reach a sword. Like that was kind of strange. I've never seen one do that before, but maybe he was just improvising. What did you think of both of those, Elliot? The 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 move fast. Ellen even asks Vin, "Was it Duralumin thing?" Yeah, and I think Vin says, "No, it's not even Duralumin. He's moving even faster than that." And so now it's a question of. Well, apparently our wizards have leveled up. Marsh talks about this in his chapter of they're getting access to powers that the Lord Ruler withheld because he didn't want the Inquisitors to get too powerful. And now that it's ruin at the reins, they're they're getting even more powerful. So our, our Inquisitors just leveled up, which I guess is appropriate for our, our book three. We need bigger, badder villains. So here they come in superpowered Inquisitors. The the kill him with a spike thing. Yeah, weird. Not sure what that's about. Not sure if that's some kind of attempt at hemallergy. Is it, hey, I've got the spike. I can do magic on you if I can get it in you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't know either. It's kind of a toss-up. Vin and Ellen find a cache after they have... It's actually kind of interesting. The first chapter of this book, you think, you know, we're going to get a Vin point of view, maybe an Ellen, maybe... No, we we get a brand new character. I don't even remember his name. Um, Fatrin. Brand new character Fatrin is our point of view character. And it takes like, what, half a chapter until Ellen even shows up. So you're trying to figure out what, what, what have I just been dropped into? It almost feels like an interlude. And then Ellen shows up and it soothes the whole city, says, come fight with me. And then they go attack a Colossus camp. I I did remember that Vin and Ellen are like fighting Coloss for some reason at the beginning of this book, but I had no remembrance of why. So getting dropped into Fatron's point of view, I was just as discombobulated as anyone else um, who picks this up for the first time. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And even seven chapters in, by the end of our reading here, I'm still fairly confused. At the end of last book, I thought we figured out how to beat Coloss. Why? Right. Why are there out there that have not been tamed? Is it just that there's way more coloss than I'm thinking? You know, when it, when last book we had an army of coloss attack the city and Vin takes control of them all in one battle, I'm thinking, oh, okay, great, that was all the coloss handled, good to go. Uh, apparently not. The, Vin and Ellen are talking about armies and armies of of coloss, and oh, the coloss just keep coming. They're under the strong control of the Inquisitors. They think. So I was I, I was not expecting Coloss to be our enemies in this book. So they say like ten thousand, don't they? Isn't that the yeah. number that's thrown out? Is ten thousand Coloss, and then it's already like three to four men. Like you know, like it, it's to show they're incredibly outnumbered, it's because they don't even have that many men. And then you need like multiple men to fight a Coloss, right? right. But then uh, obviously the turns tables are turned. With uh, Alan and Vin 
taking control of them, but I don't know, like ten thousand, like like it does. They they took control of a lot, but like you know, I I can still believe that they aren't completely you know squelched if that's the word squashed something like that aren't completely taken care you, of. Can I tell you guys what what this battle scene made me think of? So with Vin and Ellen running around fighting things and then having to like stop and focus some soothing on a on a coloss in order to to take control of it 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 made me immediately think of age of empires 2 or any age of empires for that matter with like your monks running around the battle like trying to convert people yeah you know doing the whole like whoa whoa, whoa or whatever they say and you know <laughs> taking control of the enemy like oh okay now you've got that one and then that one can, is, is fighting for you now it's it changes colors from red to blue and now you can use it to go fight those that like i could not get that out of my head for the rest of the battle just really strong monks you know yeah and when the when the enemy monk is when you hear that noise and the enemy monk is taking your guy you got to run him away real quick and yes Uh that's what these battles have turned into now so i will say this this changed how i think about our our alabancers you know, like, like not an official list, but I've kind of had the list of like, oh yeah, some of these elementers. Like, if you were misting, it would feel more useful to be some mistings than others. You know, like ten eyes have their value, right? But like in a fight, you want thugs and coin shots and st- stuff like that. You know, um, and but this went way up in my my list for soothing and soothers and yeah. and especially that we learned that apparently like a group of soothers could take control of a chondra or a coloss so like that's really really impactful and really strong um so i was like dang it if you're a soother like you got a huge buff to your your arsenal you know like that's that's pretty incredible what about the new metal it was neat metal- to get confirmation oh, oh, oh sorry sorry there's there's two uh, i guess new metals in my head the like new new one is this like what was it elect electrum electrum yep electrum and it's the counter play like it's how you even the playing field against atm right like you're burning electrum and then atm can't see what you're gonna do so right. it's it's kind of like leveling the playing field without having ATM yourself. It's being immune to ATM. It's like burning copper, I guess, is, is a comparison. Um, this was nice. I kept thinking about, like, plot holes to this. Not plot holes, but, like, ways that it gets kind of difficult. I was thinking, like, okay, so if you're fighting an Inquisitor or any, any Mistborn-type elementic power being right do you have to be burning electrum like the entire time just in case they have atm because you can't necessarily visually tell that anyone is burning atm right you would just know because they know exactly where you're going to move you know so i'm like i feel like you would have to always be burning elect electrum sorry i keep forgetting what it's called is that the right word yep electrum for whatever reason it doesn't sound right now um, but you have to like always be burning Electrum, or you're just running the risk that if they have ATM, then they're just going to wipe me out right now. 
you know so i feel like it's kind of an awkward it's like your insurance policy you know electrum's like your insurance that you always need to have on you i guess so i have i have mixed feelings about this this metal i was trying to figure out the details of it in classic elliot fashion i guess i'm i'm trying to i guess what it does is it lets you see your potential future actions is is that I guess, yeah, technically, yeah. And so the reason that defeats ATM is if you know what you're going to do, you can change it, or maybe it just infinitely increases the options of what you could do and ATM can't handle it. I I wasn't sure exactly how it countered ATM, but I think I follow. Also, maybe this is moving on too much, but I'm, I'm wondering why... This is so. This is not the counterpart to ATM, though. But like, like in battle, it is like, like in function. But we learned that the eleventh medal, which we knew about from book one, um, is actually like the the counterpart to ATM. Like right. on a, I guess, like on a periodic table standpoint, or however the you alloy. look at that. Yes, the alloy. That's the word. Um. Which I thought was interesting. It seems very. That one seems very much much like a counter, like an alloy to gold, which we already have one, don't we? Or is that still? It's gold and something. I don't know if we do have the alloy to gold okay. yet. They they know they have like it, why is. It... I I think they said it in this chapter, chapter three, because I wrote it down in my notes that electrum is the alloy of gold. Which okay. I think I think makes sense if you think about it in the right way, because you have ATM, which lets you see others' futures. You have MalATM or the eleventh metal, which lets you see others' pasts. Right. Then you right. have gold, which lets you see your past, and then the alloy of gold, Electrum, lets you see your future. Okay. When you say it like that, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. I, I definitely get that now. On like a reading through this, like face value kind of thing, I'm like, no, it makes way more sense for the one that's good at fighting against ATM to be the counter to ATM and vice yep. versa with gold and mal ATM. And and I think I can't flip I don't have my uh, my well of essential with me or I would flip to the back of the book to see the little the little diagram. Can't do it in this book because there might be spoilers back there. The uh the, the little the circle diagram with the the different metals in it or the not quite a circle mm. I think we've almost filled it all in now because what's not shown in a lot of those is aluminum and our already known alloy of that duralumin so we've got ATM in its alloy gold in its alloy aluminum in its alloy we're already well past the original like eight alimantic metals right we only need one more set to get all the way around in that circle, 16. that that diagram we were looking at. Yeah. Because yeah. there's four in each quadrant, so, right? Yes. Yes. I think, yeah. So we're at, yeah. we're at 14. Right. Mm-hmm. We're at 14. And also, so. just to be clear, just so I remember, the only time we've seen aluminum, was it in the first book when they have 
then burn a metal and she learns it wipes out all of her metal reserves, right? That yep, was right. aluminum, right? We haven't okay. seen it we haven't seen it since. Um but an inquisitor yes. did have and knew how to use aluminum. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that's all that's all I was just making sure I remembered that correctly. Also, I just Googled it. Electrum is a naturally occurring alloy of gold and silver. I didn't know that. Really? The more I, you know. I love that. What about ATM, Trevor? <laughs> I don't think ATM is going to be on the periodic <laughs> table. Uh-huh. Yeah. The first thing I get is a Mistborn wiki page. I see. <laughs> I love that he does that, though. There's been a bunch of that in Mistborn where I read it and it's like, oh, surely he made that word up. Nope. It's a real it's a real thing. Thuralumin, Electrum. Yeah, we're, we're actually learning about metals and stuff just by reading Mistborn. Mm-hmm. Um, they find they find the cache in the Titan, I think, is the small town that we're in. I don't think it matters. Um, the small town in the south is where this the, the last metal plaque led them. They find this cache. It's apparently the second to last one. And the last one is going to be in Thadric's, that Thadric City, I believe is what it's called, which is Set's old homeland. So it would imply that that's where we're headed in the near future. Anything else for Vin and Ellen, gentlemen? One thing, well, this is kind of a segue into other things. Oh, yeah, real quick before we do segue. In the, in the cavern, uh-huh. So they found a cavern. It's stocked with resources. It's a lot like the cavern they found in Luthadel that had the Well of Ascension. I think they mentioned here they found another cavern in Luthadel that was stocked with supplies, and that started them on like a scavenger hunt where they're chasing all these caverns down. Like you just said, they've got one more. In the cavern, they find an inscription in, in steel. They think left by the Lord Ruler that it explains about uh, a metal. And then Vin finds a very small, like, additional inscription on the steel. Yeah. And I don't have the full thing in front of me. I could find the page. But the, the takeaway was the inscription says, be careful what you say. We, we already know that it, Ruin, we're assuming, can read what you write, can change what you write if you don't put it in, in steel. But this hint seems to imply that ruin can hear you when yeah. you talk and the inscription it, it says something like only your thoughts are safe and so vin vin kind of walks away with a little bit of new information there of man somehow ruin can can spy on you and th- that's a new bit of information that's a little bit creepy is but- anything our heroes have said is that now potentially information that ruin has but also kind of related to that in the marsh chapter marsh makes the conclusion that he's not omnipotent no not omnipresent he is not everywhere at once so you can like we're in marsh's head for these chapters and it's proved to us there that that ruin cannot read marsh's thoughts he only changes his attention to marsh when he's out of line so yes he can 
he, he Ruin might be hearing you if he's paying attention, but he might not, right? Like, he, he's not everywhere at once. I definitely have questions on that, like, how? Right. And there, there's details perhaps we could get into in, in maybe our Stormlight spoiler section at the end, but I, I, w- I would guess that Ruin has to have some kind of method of hearing that information. It, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if just Ruin can hear every single word said on the entire planet. Right. That that seems a bit powerful, even for a shard. The the question I might have is like how, and I'm immediately I'm thinking of like the mist. Mm-hmm. Is is the mist tied to ruin, and maybe even tied in such a way that it is a, a literal extension of ruin? And if there's mist nearby, even a little bit, they could hear you, or something like that. Which would, I mean, we've been told. So many times that mist can't go inside, mist can't go inside, and then it sometimes it does go inside, and that's really weird. Um, so maybe that would feed into it. Is maybe even the Lord Ruler didn't know? Maybe if you're inside, it can't hear you, or Ruin can't hear you, but if you're outside, he can. Something like that. Yeah. We got to uh, catch up with Ten Soon. We haven't seen Ten Soon since uh, Zane died. And apparently he has been spending his time as a lump of muscle and mucus in a bucket. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, I know we all tend to, um, you know, tend to spend our days like this, but um, it's a bit sad to see um, Tensoon here without a job, you know, Um, Mm. just kind of chilling back at home. Uh, A little bit sad. Really interesting glimpses into Conjure World. Poor Ten Soon. Yeah, I I think I I feel for I feel for him just because at the end of the day he he helped Vin right. So when he but so when he returns back, instead of chilling at home, he's actually in prison. Very nasty, like hole in the ground. He he's a puddle in a pothole then soon but then you start to pick up details about the chandra and some interesting things and then later on in the chapter seven they they get in even more into like the politics of the the chandra world which is 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 pretty interesting yeah but yeah it, when we pick him up in chapter two they're trying to execute him Right. They yeah. They dump some acid on him in like what chapter four or something, and then yeah. So they they're trying to execute him, but the law says they have to give him a body first, so that if he wants to appeal for trial or whatever, he has the opportunity to do so. So they give him a body, but then before any other chondro could feasibly take the body, they just start dumping acid on him to kill him. But because he's so experienced at taking different forms and bodies, he does it quickly, does it faster than they're expecting him to, and then a plot er, appeals for trial, and so they have to give it to him, which is where we leave him. I think they're leading him to like the courtroom uh, at the end of chapter seven or six or whatever. And that's where we leave him. So that we we learn a lot about the Chandra and everything here. 
there's mention of the the generations, right? We learn Tensun is a member of the third generation, right? Um, and we could just assume that's that. Like, obviously, that's like literal generations from, I guess, the original Chandra who were created. Um, but I, I'm a bit curious on what Elliot thinks on this. So, so not just the generations. Um, like that's that's not my question. My my thing that I'm curious to know what you think about is they're kind of mad at Ten Soon for calling for a trial. They're like, you had the easy way out. We could kill you now. And that's that's the best, like like that's a blessing that we're offering to you, right? Um, you broke the contract, like you've betrayed us, and we're offering to just end your life right here, right now. Um, and he is calling for a trial. Do you think there's like hope in this trial at all? Is it just he wants to speak his mind and? He doesn't care if he's punished for it. How do you even punish a Chandra worse than killing it? I don't I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff. I'm, I know Brandon's way more clever than I am. Uh, but what's your what's your thought on, on this scenario? I'm actually really interested when we get to that scene. I'm assuming we're gonna get it, because Hen Soon he thinks to himself, I can convince them. I broke the rules. I knowingly broke the rules. I went back to my people like this is the punishment that I deserve based on the laws and customs of of these people but he he has he has hope of changing those laws of convincing the Chandra that Vin was worth helping that something's different and that maybe Vin if they help Vin they could get out of the not so great situation they're in where they're just in eternal servitude to powerful humans. And so does he does he have a chance? Yeah, I think absolutely. Seems like Tensoon's a very experienced, very knowledgeable Chandra. He'll he'll know the law, their law very well. The they're all all experts in contracts, apparently. And so can he talk his way out of it? Maybe. Maybe get himself some parole, get them to like Give them a chance. Give, give me a year. Give me a year to prove to you that uh, that Vin is worth helping. So maybe they'll release him, and hey, maybe Vin gets her dog sidekick back. At some point, Vin would have to start explaining why every year she has a different dog, though. Like, yeah, someone someone's gonna start asking some questions of why, why don't you keep the same dog around, Vin? Uh, Elliot, the... what's going on with Sazed? Super. Super quick before we move over to Sazed, which I really do want to talk about Sazed. He's the like number one thing I'm looking forward to in this book at this point. Last last word on Conjure though. Fascinating kind of dialogue about them and some of the politics between their generations and some of just the irony about them in general. Mm. Tensoon spent some time kind of examining how the Conjure, at least in their own city, take these true bodies. And it, it's a fascinating description of the the one that like comes to take him has a a skeleton of quartz, pure quartz, yep, and then cr- creates himself a completely translucent body so that he can show off his quartz skeleton that he's that he's got. And the other the the other condor they pass have other materials or metals or stone and stuff like that. They they don't just take on skeletons. They create themselves you you can go to the the true body 
boutique and buy yourself a, a new skeleton made out of whatever the latest trend is. Yep. And and that's like their their fashion. But just the the irony in that of the Chondra hate the humans so much. And yet so much of what they are and do is all in mimicry of the humans. Yep. They could take other forms. They could take other shapes. They could be other things. But they even when they have a choice choose to mirror humans which is fascinating i think i think that specifically true bodies would be really cool to see visually in an adaptation or, oh, yeah. or even art oh yeah i think you could do some really cool things with that it it also makes me jump to weird questions like ferrochemy what if you make yourself a metal but true body made out of metal mines hmm. like what happens then I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> or, yeah, we just learned or got a name of hemallergy. What happens when you try to hemallerge chondra? I don't know nearly enough about hemallergy to even start guessing about how that would work or what that would do. But, yeah, question. I, I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to learn more about hemallergy and as this book goes on so maybe we can answer so. that question by the end of the book i hope so but says where you were we were headed with uh says yeah definitely want to talk briefly we get one chapter i think it's just one in uh in says perspective and he's he has not progressed very far from where we left him right been a year at least a year. I was actually confused at one point. And in like the Seiza chapter, they talk about two years ago, such and such. Which so I was trying to figure figure out where they are they talking about like events from the first book or so time timeline for you. The final empire started three years ago, and it takes an entire year to kill the Lord Ruler. Killing the right. Lord Ruler was two years ago from now. Right. Okay. And so then there was a year. Yes. There was a year gap between the final empire and the well of ascension, and then a year gap from the well of ascension yeah. to, um, the hero of ages. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it's been a year since Sazed has lost Tindwell and had massive shaking of his faith, and he's he's still in that place. Yep. He's still struggling with that. He still seems very bitter about religion in general, which is the opposite of the Sazed that we're used to. We're used to Sazed who loves a discussion about any religion or faith whatsoever. And here he is like just hating every aspect of these religions and almost with just like a scowl on his face, I imagine, going through his religions one by one and examining them and tossing out any of the ones that he finds any inconsistencies or illogical jumps in which i think the implication in the chapter was that's all of them so far right he spent a year going through them all and every single one he's found some kind of inconsistency or something he doesn't like about it and so he he says oh well obviously that can't be true so he throws it out now i couldn't tell whether he's throwing them out basically claiming or thinking oh that's been changed by ruin or if he's just bitter about religion and he's trying to find one that he 
can't disprove so that he can latch onto that one. But every single one he gets to, he finds something that he doesn't like about it. And so it goes. So, but e- either way, interesting position that says it's in. Yeah. I, I am echoing you as well. I am really looking forward to says it in this book. I have vague memories, but I really am not sure how he gets there and why. So, um, looking forward to his journey. Anything else before we get into mm, Stormlight stuff? Nope. That's all I have. Paul? Nope, I agree. All right. Real quick. Uh, so, so Stormlight stuff now. Just a, re- a real quick side note, and then I'll get into our Stormlight refresher that we're going to be starting today. I am really looking forward to learning more about Chondra and refreshing myself more about Chondra because I'm fairly confident this is a Stormlight 5 prediction that we're going to have a Chondra in Stormlight 5. Um, And so learning the ins and outs of how they treat the contract and how you can have a Chondra on your side or manipulate a Chondra and the rules to them, I'm really looking forward to relearning those things. Um, in preparation for Stormlight 5 because I think it's going to be relevant. But I, I do as well. I think that's a great point that I hadn't... I, we briefly mentioned something like that, but now you're bringing it back to my mind, which I, n- I now need to add that to what I'm looking for as well because where we left our heroes in Stormlight, they're dealing with a contract with Odium. Right. And so bringing in an expert on contracts whether they show up on either, like whichever side they show up on, likelihood of Condor getting involved seems high. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of formatting, gentlemen. In preparation for Stormlight 5, I will not have time to reread the books. Paul, you said that you are going to. I hope you enjoy that. What, are you going to audiobook them or are you going to read them? Yes. Yeah, I will be audiobooking them. Okay. So in preparation for that, or in preparation for Stormlight 5, I at the end of each episode, all I want to do is a quick less than five minutes little teaser trivia for you guys. And just we're going to quick rapid fire. I don't want you to take too much time like thinking about it. Either you know the answer or you don't. Okay? So there's going to be four questions for a total of five points. And each week we're going to start with a different one of the questions is two points. Um, okay. And <laughs> I was supposed each, to say, wait, are they all worth 1.25 1. points? 1.25 points, yes. No. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, it, it'll make sense in a second. I have it in front of me. I'm going to do my gotcha. best to explain this. The We're going to start with one of you one week, and then we're going to switch off to the other one the next week. So one of you will get to lead in this week, and then the other one will get to lead in the second week. There are pros and cons to going first or going second on different questions, okay? So you'll get an advantage or a disadvantage on each week. We're going to start with Elliot. Four questions. The first one is going to be, I'm going to give you the name of a chapter. You have to give me a rough explanation of what happened in that chapter, okay? Number two is going to be our classic quote ID. 
I that we've that we were doing last year. I will give you a quote. All you have to do is tell me who's talking. That's all. Just tell me who's talking. You and that that'll lead into like guesses of if you're going second, maybe that was a good thing that you went second because they said that what you were going to guess and I'll tell them no. So third one, I am going to read a review of a Cosmere book that you have read. You are going to tell me what they rated the book out of five and what book they're talking about. So the, the, that's three and four. They're, you're going to tell me what they rated it, one, two, three, four, five, and what book they're talking about. Fifth is a trivia question. I, a good old-fashioned, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. So that'll be like the tiebreaker. If we get to a fifth question, um, I'm just going to ask you a, a straight-up trivia question. So, Elliot, you're going to go first. All right. And we're going to keep a tally of it, who won the week. So if, if you get three out of five, then you, you get one point, and we'll carry that through to next week, if that makes sense. Okay. So, Elliot, this goes to you first. I'm going to give you a chapter name. You have to tell me a rough estimate, a, a brief description, and it'll be up to me whether I accept it or not, of what happened in the chapter. The chapter title is Three Glyphs. Three Glyphs. Chapter titles. I don't read those. Three Glyphs. Um, well, Give me your uh, best shot. So, Yasna has conversations with uh, Shalon about research that she's doing, and she can't find what, uh, what she's looking for. And uh, Shalon has questions, but... Uh, Yasa's not really giving the answers. Yeah, I have no idea. Incorrect. Paul, go ahead. Okay. My best guess is Navani is doing her prayer glyphs. And I think my best guess is that this is the chapter where Navani's doing her like prayer glyphs. And I think maybe Shalon or Renarin comes and asks about them, like, oh, why do you do this? And she explains and shares a little bit of insight into it and this is why i do it and the listener is like oh no that's kind of dumb but then it makes a good point about like oh well it brings hope to her so therefore it's a good thing okay incorrect the uh, intention of, confidently though the intention of this quiz is to refresh ourselves on what actually happened in stormlight but i'm quickly realizing that we might just be gaslighting ourselves into talking to ourselves about things that never actually happened like paul just did. absolutely he was so absolutely. confident about some scene that never happened okay <laughs> three glyphs for you for your refresher gentlemen it is the chapter where kaladin straps old Parshendi bones to his shield and runs out in front of bridge four to distract from the arrows and save on a bridge run. Chapter 62 of the way of Kings. All right. Never would have gotten there. Nope, Paul, not even close. Paul, <laughs> quest, all right, all right. question two. Here's your quote ID. All you have to tell me is who's talking. Okay. See that those people don't trample each other in their haste to get to safety and keep the rest of the guards from attacking them. This isn't a revolt. Can't you hear the thunder and feel the wind picking up? It just to be sure, this is just, we're just talking about 
Stormlight, or is this any Cosmere? Any Cosmere is possible, but it is heavily weighted to Stormlight. Okay. I, I won't put other Cosmere it? off the board. I feel really closely between two guesses. I'm actually going to go with with Adolin. Incorrect. So is it over to Elliot? Yep, it's over to Elliot. Okay, okay. I'm bouncing back and forth from a bunch of scenes. I'm not super confident on this. I almost want to go a little out of the box and go like Elokar. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when. Final answer? Sure. Incorrect. The answer is Kaladin trying to get the Alethi farmers in from the High Storm at the beginning of Oathbringer. He's trying to convince Parshman to let the humans in the barn um, as the High Storm's coming. Can I can I make a comment? Sure. I thought this was way. I thought this was Way of Kings. I thought this was when they're like they realize they've been be- betrayed. And I thought specifically thought this wasn't Kaladin because I thought the little like comment of the wind is picking up. I thought that was going to be some neat little rereader illusion mm. that like Kaladin is sort of controlling the winds and doing his whole like initial lashings thing. So, so my two guesses were Adolin and or and or Dalinar because I thought that's was the scene, but I was like, ah, I don't think it's Dalinar. Anyways, anyways, that's all. All right, back to Elliot. For question three and four, I'm going to read you both a review of a Cosmere book that you have read. It, like, like I said, any book is on the table that you've read, but it's heavily weighted to Stormlight. We're here for Stormlight ref- refreshers. This is on Goodreads. I have waited too long to write the review that I don't even feel like describing it. I will say that I was that it was a bloated read full of repetitive self-loathing, self-condemnation, self-recrimations, and other self-stuff from the dictionary. The character took the characters took forever to grow. I mean, they didn't grow slash change until the last 100 or so pages. This is ridiculous. They were not interesting enough to carry the story for that long. I kept wishing and hoping that something great would happen. It's as simple as that. It never did. World building? Not nearly enough to give praise. I already own the next book, unfortunately. I'm in no rush to read it. Disappointed. So it can't be Oathbringer, because the center lanch of, of Oathbringer surely does not fail to at least grab somebody's interest or make them feel the book was worth it. Can't be Rhythm of War, because there's a hint in there about owning the next one. Okay. There's got to be. I guess I'm giving Paul the hints here, aren't I? Words of Radiance. Okay. It's got to be Words of Radiance. And they, which is still baffling, how they didn't think the end of that book. Words of Radiance, they gave it uh, two stars out of five. Two Out of five? Out of five. Two out of five. All right, Paul? Okay, so one clarifying question I want to ask. Does it? It started at the beginning of the review saying he waited too long. Was it too long to read this or too long to write this? I've waited too long to write this review that I don't even feel like describing it. And he says the development doesn't happen until the last 100 pages. Yep. 
Okay, so I'm going to talk myself through this a little bit since Elliot's already made his guesses. So desperately want to say the Well of Ascension. That's what I desperately want to say. Okay. But I know this is heavily weighted towards Stormlight, but it doesn't mean it's Stormlight. Correct. I'm like my final answer and my, my other thought is my final answer is that this is the Way of Kings. Okay. Actually, this is a review of the Way of Kings. And he gave it a really negative like like feedback but i'm gonna say that it's not maybe not quite that bad i'm gonna go three out of five the way of kings and three out of five all right because if he bought the next book he's at least somewhat confident right whoever wrote this okay anyways the correct answer is the way of kings for two out of five stars so both of you have a point <sighs> okay Moving into our fifth, fifth question and last one. We have been told of five different wielders of Oathbringer, the sword, since the start of the Stormlit Archive. Name them. This goes to Paul first. Okay, so five different wielders for Oathbringer, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Going to start with... Dalinar. Okay. Okay. It also, um, also, but for this question, if you get one, if you say someone who was not correct, that disqualifies your answer and you were incorrect. Okay. So, okay. The thing is, I don't know if I can say the exact name. I believe you can describe them. The, the term was like the Sun Maker. Okay. Sun. Bringer, so I'm pretty sure it was Sunmaker. That's what I would rest on, but not 100% sure. But it's like who Dalinar references way back in the past to like the Sunmaker. Okay. As like a, an original Oathbringer person. I'm going to say Sunmaker, Dalinar. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, okay. You said there's five, there's been five wielders of Oathbringer. Gosh. Okay. Does this. This may get me out right away. Um, I'm gonna say Thaddeus, because doesn't Dalinar give Thaddeus this Oathbringer? Okay. Okay. Not out yet. <laughs> okay. I w I wouldn't tell you if you were. Um, okay. 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 I would let you okay, get five I first. Say, I have to say five names. Oh, okay. Okay. Dang. Okay. I was taking you, that. You as can, a good you sign. can stop whenever you want, but there are five. Okay. So if. Okay. I want to throw one more name out there. And it's like, if any one of them are wrong, I'm like, I mean, I'm not, I, I know I don't know five. So maybe I should stop there. I'm not sure. Um, I feel confident in the three I've said so far. I mean, going off of initial judgments, I should just stop at those three. I can't think of another. Maybe. Oh, um, um, I, man, this is probably all wrong. I'm going to say Gavilar. I think that's wrong, but I'm going to add that as a fourth name and stop there. I can't think of anyone else. Okay. So you said Dalinar, the Sunmaker, Sadius, and Gavilar were your four. Yes. And you're stopping yes. at four. Okay. Throwing yes. to you, Elliot. I can't, I can't think of anyone. Okay. How long, how long do they have to hold it to count as a wielder? Uh, seconds. A second. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, down Arsadius, for sure. I'm... I agree with Paul about the, this Sunmaker character. I remember there being the talk about the origin. I'm not sure if that name is correct, so I'm going to avoid it so I don't disqualify my, my answer here. So I'm going to take that one off, even though I do think that that person, whatever their actual name is, was a wielder. And then I'm going to add Adolin to this list. Dalinar, Sadius, Adolin. There's another, I want to say it's Kaladin. I feel like there's a time in Rhythm of War where he like holds it or is wielding it or whatever, but I'm not sure about that one, so I'm going to take it off as well. So final answer, Dalinar, Sadius, Adolin. Okay. Paul, Gavilar never held Oathbringer, so you are disqualified. Elias, I don't have Adolin down, but I believe you're correct. In Rhythm of War, I believe Oathbringer... Well, it, actually, no. In Words of Radiance, um, he assassinates Sadius, Oathbringer appears next to him, and he hides it. I believe you're correct. That's my thought. That's so, my thinking. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, that both mm. of those are correct. Or that all three of those are correct. The Sunmaker was correct. And was that the correct name too? Yes. His his like, real name is him. his real name wow. is Sadie or S Sade. Uh Sadius is named after him. Um Sade the Sunmaker. I would have accepted either one of those. Okay. Um Tanalon's father is who Dalinar wins the blade from in the rift. Um, and you could have actually... Ah, uh, yes. You could have actually said Tanalon as, as well because he's the boy who, who picks up the blade to defend against Dalinar for, like, a split second. Huh. Sadius and Amaram is on this list as well. Amaram uses Oathbringer in the battle at the end of Oathbringer the book. He dual wields shard blades against Kaladin. I, I toyed with Amram for a second, but couldn't remember the I exact situation. Man, Oathbringer's been been around the block. I actually thought of Amram pretty early, but I will say my reasoning was completely off. <laughs> I thought there was a point like when Shalon sees that Amram has her brother's shard blade. I thought there was somewhere in there that somehow Amram had Oathbringer for a second too. But that's def that that is incorrect. So, okay, I'm proud of the Sunmaker at least. Yeah, you should be. One claim to fame here. All right. So going into next week, we are one zero to Elliot as he got that final question correct. Whole two points. Um, with mm -hmm. the yes, it did, but the the weekly points don't matter. It's just the cumulative points. Um, okay. So one zero to Elliot, and I hope you enjoyed your stormlight refresher we'll be doing some of the quick some of these quickly at the end of each episode anything else gentlemen that's all excited to read more that was a ton of fun looking forward to next time absolutely